This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's like we were just here, right? For those of you who are watching Patriots Roundtable, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's quite a quick turnaround, but we got it done and we're excited to be here tonight. I don't know. I've done two shows a couple of times. Uh, it's not always easy. Um, tonight I'm I'm charged up because of how much fun we had on the other programs, so I've got a lot of energy that I'm carrying over. I'm looking forward to my discussion tonight with Lynn Monet. Lynn was on the program before. She released a book when she, uh, it was 2020, I believe, and she was on. and Her book was called Omnipresent. Talked about uh, haunting and experience experiences that she's had, and she's got a new book that's actually a follow up to Omnipresent. It's called Omnipresent: What Happened Next. And we're going to be talking about that. I'll have Lynn remind us a little bit about the first book so we get back into that frame of mind and we will uh, then uh, talk about the new book as well. Plus, she's got another book that's going to be released shortly. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we'll talk about ghosts and the afterlife. Lynn's an expert on all this stuff, and she's going to help us uh, work through it, explain it, and all of that. Please take a minute and subscribe if you haven't subscribed to our platforms yet. Of course, YouTube, Twitch our primary video streams, and then you can find the podcast version of the show on all major podcast platforms. Very easy to find, but the podcast version of the show is a little bit different. It's beyond reality paranormal for the podcast, whereas the rest of the um, places it's beyond reality. Actually, it might be might be J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal. I don't even know. I don't remember what we titled the channels, but you can find it. Search for J.V. Johnson. It'll come up pretty easily. Um, we have, on the YouTube channel anyway, we've got hundreds of back episodes of the show, probably like 800. I should check that out. I should see how many are there. It's like 800, something really crazy. And then, of course, on the podcast version of the show, uh, there's a few hundred backup episodes there. It's all free. We do appreciate uh, you if you wish to support us. We've got a couple of ways to do that. We've got our Patreon page, which you can go to at patreon.com slash johaw, J-O-H-A-W. Or if you're listening through the podcast, you can actually click on a little link in the podcast that allows you to support right through the podcast. You know, one of those like 99 cents a month things. So given the fact that, you know, however many programs, it's like, it's like, you know, 10 cents a program, something like that. Helped uh, support what we do here, pay for the equipment, whatever, you know, all the stuff that we have to do. Anyway, so let's go to break. Let's get Lynn with us so we can uh, we can begin our discussion again. Lynn, Lynn Monet, author and paranormal consultant, will be our guest. We'll be talking about her new book. It's called Omnipresent. What happened next? It's a sequel or a, a follow up to the book Omnipresent that she released a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago or so. So uh, Lynn Monet coming right up on Beyond Reality. 
Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program provide great interviews for you during the course of the week i thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for being here, everybody. I'm really excited about tonight's program. I love it when we have good guests that come back to the show. And tonight's guest is one of those. Lynn Monet is an author, also a paranormal consultant and expert. Lynn was on the program after releasing a book called Omnipresent, and she's got a sequel or a follow-up to that book that's uh, released called Omnipresent, What Happened Next? Lynn, it's great to have you back with us. Welcome back. It's always good to have an old friend back with us on the show. Yes, I am so thrilled. It's such an honor to, to even get to be on your show. I thank you so very much. It's great to be back. I'm trying to remember when you were on. It was, it was, was it early 2020 that you were on talking about Omnipresent? I thought it was around October, around oh, okay. um, Halloween time. It could have been. Yeah. Time, I, I swear, with you know, with, with the pandemic and all the things that have happened, my concept of time is so distorted and skewed, I'm really having trouble. You know, things that seemed like they were 10 years ago were two months ago, you know? Yes, I totally understand that. <laughs> remind, Absolutely. Remind us a little bit about... Um, I'm not sure where to go first. Let's go with with Omnipresent. When you were on about a year ago and we were talking about Omnipresent, uh, just remind us what that's about, because that'll obviously lay the foundation of of talking about the new book. Okay. um, Omnipresent, I wrote um, after 13 years ago, I purchased, unbeknownst to me, a haunted house. And um, I was never able to actually move into that house because it was that bad. Um, So where this new book picks up, it picks up, um, after that, a lot of people actually, uh, um, a lot of people came to me and wanted to know, you know, what happened next? What are you doing now? What happened to the people that are living in the house now? Did you ever get a hold of the people that moved out before you and that sold you the house? So there were a lot of questions. And I was actually, when I was on the show last time, I was also um, writing a book called Colors of Heaven Beginnings Never End, which is a book about um, dying, death, and afterlife. And I got to a point in the book where I was writing where I I started to write about the difference between when a soul crosses over and when a soul chooses not to cross over. And it was kind of going into a little bit more of a darker area. Here's this beautiful heavenly story about, you know, people crossing over and your loved ones. And now we're kind of getting into the little bit of the darker side of things, into the ghosts and, and things that are creepy in the night. So I decided to do the separate books. And I wrote, I've now written the sequel to the sequel to um, Omnipresent, which is the one tonight, Omnipresent, What Happened Next. And The Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End is still coming out probably around Christmas time. 
So it'll be a beautiful story to have around um, that time. But, um, yeah, I, I wanted to uh, kind of give people, you know, what they were asking for. So that's all in this book. And also I've learned a lot since then. Right. So, yeah. You know, um, obviously the questions that you laid out uh, that were kind of the follow-up questions when people asking, you know, what happened to the house, who's, what happened to the people that are living there, all those things. Obviously those those questions are often the ones that go unanswered after after you hear about somebody's experiences, and sometimes they're the most important questions. Um, you know, they're the ones that kind of bring some kind of resolution, maybe, <laughs> to the story. They they're the question they're the questions and answers that that make people really understand maybe what was happening. Uh, and did you feel a sense of that too as you were putting this book together? You know, I did. I really did. Um, it's like people wanted to make sure because it was such it was such a crazy. I mean, the story, it's just very intense. And people really they like connected with me and were on my side and they wanted to make sure I was OK, you know, and that it, that um, and, and that was one of the main things and how my family and I were faring um, at this time. And of course, you know, they wanted to know a little bit more about me, too, as a person, because I kind of went straight to the to the meet with that book and told the story. I didn't really go in a lot about myself. So this this follow-up book has a little bit more of that, of my background. It's got multiple stories of, of hauntings um, in it, as well as what happened ex- right afterwards. Um, I did go back by the house at one point, and an incident occurred again. Um, I did get a hold of the people that sold me the house and had a lot of what happened in that house validated that they also had issues with. And um, then it goes into the stories of of people that just, they were compelled to come forward and say to me, listen, you know, I've never told this story to anybody before in my life, but I'm going to tell you because I I had similar experience. So um, that, you know, having, having the friendship and the people come forward with the support has also been very nice. Um, that way as well. Yeah, that has to be. I want you to do me a favor because, first of all, the audience loves to hear the details when we start talking about these experiences, as horrifying or as frightening as they can be at times. You know, people enjoy, or, or I guess they're just curious about, you know, what happens in these situations. So remind us the types of activities that you you were dealing with. You say you didn't move into the house. You never got a chance to actually live in it. Uh, what were the types of things that were happening? Well, well, um, the worst thing that happened in the house is my, my best friend was clawed to the point of bleeding while she stood next to me in the kitchen on her back and her stomach. Mm. That was like the, the epitome of it. Um, we only actually slept two nights there. Uh, one night was my, myself with my children, and then the next time that we went, um, I took the dog, and things really started to amp up then. I had purchased the house in March, and... Being a single mother, I didn't want to take my kids out of school since there was only eight weeks left. I I was going to commute back and forth and figure that we'd move in during the summertime after some renovations were done. So we only actually spent the two nights there. And um, after that second second night, we, we never slept in the house again. So I was having problems with the renovations, having workers stay to finish the job. Um, people's tools were moving, lights were turning on and off, faucets were turning on and off. My dog um, did not want to stay in that house because she was also seeing things. And um, having my hair pulled, having people attacked in the house. After we spent the night, that second night that we took my dog, that morning um, we actually woke up and my son had, had bite marks 
Ooh. on his legs in three places. They looked like dog bite marks, but they were smaller than my dog would have left. And, of course, my dog wasn't prone to, to biting anyway. Right. But um, I remember asking my son, because they were purple. They were like bruised bites. And I remember asking my son, I said, what happened? And he said, I, I don't know. I said, well, did Sally do that? No, he couldn't even remember how they happened because they happened during his sleep in that house. And um, my my daughter, too, you know, she um, she couldn't sleep in the house. She felt like things were staring at her. The cover of that book with the creepy hands was actually an event that occurred in the house. My son was in the master bedroom um, on the toilet, and that is what he saw coming in at him. Oh, wow. At 10 years old, and um, it just... It was it was bad. I mean, I I had multiple denominations of religion in there to get the things out. Ninety percent of the times when the churches would come over, it actually made the attacks worse. Um, and I I had I even stepped outside of the box. I had an Indian lady come, which she was the most bizarre, but made the most sense because I was living it, and and anything normal didn't make sense. So um, we were actually able to, uh, there were two demons and a young man in the house. The young man had hung himself in the house when it was built. One thing that I did learn, it's not about the age of the house, it's about the age of the, gra- the um, ground that it's built on. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what was there before. I mean, you know, in the Carolinas, you had the Civil War going through here, the Indians with tears, you had the, the witch hunts and all kinds of things that, that were here, so you just never, ever know. And um, so even a brand-new house can be haunted if it's built in the wrong place. So those were some of the things that I did learn. And I remember you talking about it before, Lynn. There was nothing particularly unique about this house. It was just a regular house, right? Well, it was, it was a two-story um, split-level house. And for me, being a single mother, um, I was re- recouping from my uh, getting my credit scores back up post-divorce. And we were actually living in a single-wide mobile home that I had paid $5,000 for and fixed up. And so we lived there for about six years. And then I finally had gotten my credit scores up that I would be able to qualify for a house. Mm-hmm. And because of my single person income, most of the places, I mean, I looked for a year, most of the places were in need of repair, or they had right. one bathroom, or they were next to a paper mill that stunk, you know, or, or they weren't, yeah. weren't in a great area. So when this house came on the market, um, it was a 2,400-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath house with a full family room and fireplace downstairs. It had this big 13-by-15-foot bonus room, and um, and it had a garage, a double-car garage, but if you pulled one in, you could actually fix three cars um, in there. So when my realtor called me and she said, you know, one of my colleagues just came in, this house, she hasn't even put it on the MLS yet, but this house is in your price range, and it is too good to be true. Well, man, that should have resonated with me. Yeah. Because she wasn't kidding. And the thing was, is I remember when we were driving there, I was like, I kept looking through the papers that she brought, and I'm like, there's got to be something wrong. I, the, the price <laughs> has to be 100000 more than what they're asking for this house. You know, there's no way. I mean, it's sitting on a Florida flat, almost one-third um, acre of a lot on a dead-end street, and I call the trick-or-treat houses so they're close enough that, you know, the kids can get lots of candy during Halloween, mm-hmm. which is what I wanted. And, you know, I even had her call the, the other realtor a couple of times to confirm that 
you know, that there were no nuclear plants or sinkholes in the neighbor's yard or, or somebody murdered next door and that the price was right and it kept coming back that it was. And in addition to that, the people that owned the house had already moved out. So it was move-in ready. And come to find out later from a neighbor, they actually only lived in the house for six months out the, of the year that they owned it before dumping wow. it. Wow. So, does, does Omnipresent, uh, what happened next, or in any other, maybe you didn't write about it, but did you ever have a chance to talk to those former owners and I did. find out? Okay. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, um, the, the way that the book actually opens is it talks about, it's called The Last Chapter First. And it talks about a, a trip that I was making on the interstate, and there was this big backup. So I just got off of this exit ramp, not really paying attention to where I was. And it just so happened that it was the exit ramp that I would normally take to that house. And I kept trying to parallel the interstate and find a way to get back on without having to go down any of those streets towards the house. But it ended up that I had to. So as I'm passing by the street where my house is, I noticed that there's a sign in, in the front yard, but I couldn't tell for sure if where they had it placed, if it was in the neighbor's yard or in their yard. And um, I caught it out of my peripheral vision, and I got curious, and I thought, no, don't tell me. You know, these people, I, re I distinctly remember, you know, when when we were in the house at one point, and I tried to tell them that the house was haunted, uh, my conscience got the best of me, and I couldn't do to them what I had done to me. So um, I re distinctly remember leaving out of the house and the wife was coming down from the upper level down the stairs and her husband was about three steps behind her and she turns around and she says, why did you push me? And he's like, I didn't push you. Mm. She says, yeah, you did. She sa he said, no, I'm three steps back. I can't even reach you. And I knew that one of the demonic things in the house that would run those stairs and play with the locks had shoved her. So when they came out, I did try to tell them, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and they immediately cut me off. They said, do you believe in ghosts? Oh, no, we're Baptists. We don't believe in those sorts of things. We don't entertain. We don't talk about that stuff. So I said, okay. But anyway, when I saw the sign, my heart just sunk, and I thought, no, you know, I, I, it can't be. So my curiosity got me, and I turned um, into a street and then turned around and said a prayer for protection, got up enough nerve to go and turn down that street. And sure enough, it was a for sale by owner sign, and it was in that yard. And I felt so bad at that time because I thought, you know, the things in that house chased me out. They chased the people before me out. And even these people that have really, really strong faith, and I thought that I did too, you know, are being chased out. And I had at least hoped that all of the efforts that I had made with uh, clearings and blessings and all of that sort of thing maybe had a delayed reaction so that they could at least, you know, live in the house peacefully. Um, and, and it didn't. So I continued down the street. And um, before turning on the street, I had shut off my radio because I wanted to be very inconspicuous. I didn't want them to come out and see me passing by and invite me in because that's the last thing I wanted to do. Right. So I went down to the end of the street and turned around. And as I'm coming forward, I see the house directly across the street, and they still have this huge Archangel Michael statue in the front yard facing my house, well, facing the house that I had sold. And just when I get up in front of the house, my radio turns itself on full blast. Wow. I kid you not. I couldn't get it to change channel, to turn it down, to shut it off. So I sped up, 
and got off that street so fast, I left skid marks. <laughs> I kid you not. Well, I didn't want them to come out and see me. You know, yeah. here, here's this loud, pounding music playing, and everybody's going to look out their windows to see who that is, and I didn't want them to see me. So I got off the road as fast as I could, and I went home, and, um, you know, it kind of got the best of me, and I thought, you know, now that I've sold this house, these people are going to be moving out of the house, too. I really want to get a hold of the, the previous owners. I have to know. You know, I have to know what happened. So I went through the, um, the county records, and, and they were still living in the area. Um, and I did, I did find them. I have actually sent out three letters because there are a couple of people that had a similar last name. So a couple of weeks pass, and I get a call from the husband of the people that sold it to me. And uh, I said to him, I said, you know, I told him who I was. I said, I have since sold the house. And I said, um, did anything peculiar ever happen, you know, while you were, you were living there? And he mm -hmm. said, well, what do you mean by peculiar? And I said, well, like, it's haunted. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said to me, uh, I think you need to talk to my wife. Oh. Well, that told me what I needed without saying anything. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so um, I asked him, you know, if I could speak to her then, and of course she wasn't available, so I asked him, please have her call me back. I, I do need to talk to her about some things. So a period of time passed. I didn't think she was going to call me. Finally, one day my phone rings, and I almost didn't answer because I thought it might be a scammer, but, but I did answer it. And here's this lady crying and crying on the other end of the phone. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, who is this? And she said, I'm so sorry that we sold you that house. And I said, oh, I, you know, I said, oh, my God. I said, I'm so thankful that you called me. I said, believe me, I'm not angry about this. I want you to know that there's no recourse, you know, going to come back on you legally or anything because the house has been sold to someone else. And it looks like they're selling it to someone else. But I wanted to to see if we could compare some notes and make some sense of some things. And right. she told me, she said, you know, we were, they were actually like two or three hours late to the closing when I went to buy the house. And she was explaining to me, she said, you know, she says, my husband and I, we got into a terrible fight on the way to that closing because I found out that you had children and I, I didn't want him to, to allow you to buy the house. Mm. And so, um, and, and that whole thing made sense because in that closing, she wouldn't look me in the face. She kept staring down at her feet. And oh. even when I would speak to her, I'm kind of like tipping down, trying to get her eye contact. Yeah. And she, you know, wouldn't say anything. But so we started to talk, and um, there were a couple of things that we, she had made mention that the house had been bank-owned when they got it, and that it had, the only flooring that it had in it was like linoleum flooring in the kitchen and the bathroom, that they had put carpeting down. And we were both talking, and, and of course, I lifted the carpeting back up to put wooden flooring in everywhere. But um, we were talking about this one room in particular was a smaller bedroom and how there was this film of feces smeared, glazed all over that floor from corner to corner. And she told me that when they first had moved in there, that there were clumps of feces in there that they had to clean it up. And then, of course, they put a mat down with the carpet over the top. And it still had kind of a little bit of a funny smell in there. So when I pulled it back up, it was like a thin glaze of this feces all over the floor that I had to clean before the wooden flooring could go down. 
And so they didn't really know where that came from. I didn't either because the house was, um, like I said, it was bank-owned before. But then she started talking about how um, the house almost ruined her marriage. She said that that her husband sometimes would pick up, you know, work, extra work at night. and, And for the most part, he worked nights anyway. And she then worked the days so that, you know, with the kids, they'd be at daycare and then she could pick them up and have them with her during the night. And they kind of balanced the kids that way. And they had a little girl that was um, around four and a little boy that was around six. And um, she said that uh, her daughter started getting scratches on her and and weird bruises. And she she asked the little girl, um, she, she said, you know, where, what happened? Where did you get that? And the little girl spoke up and said, you know, the, the monsters downstairs, they don't like me. And she was talking about invisible friends. Well, usually when they talk about invisible friends, they're referencing people. Right. You know, this child was talking about things that were really creepy sounding. And then the little, the son brought home a uh, picture from school. They, the kids, they were supposed to draw their house and their yard and their family, which is, they do when they're in like kindergarten, first grade. And, of course, they're little stick people, and he brought it home, and he had his house and his family and his dog, and then he had these three other creepy-looking things off to the side. And apparently the, um, the mom told me that when the teacher asked him who the other three people were, he said, those are the monsters that live downstairs. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Lynn, that's the stuff of horror films. <laughs> yes. So, so um the the family the the husband and wife um things continued to happen and um he would he would get up in the middle of the afternoon and come out and accuse her of knocking on the door trying to wake him up and he'd come out to say you know what did you want and she's like well I didn't I didn't do that he says yes I even heard your voice on the other side side because it would mimic her voice and this type of thing would happen, and then they'd go into the kitchen, and the water would be trickling on, and, and he'd be like, well, you left the water running. Why'd you leave the water? I didn't touch the water. I haven't even been in there. So this kind of chaos that was constantly um, created in the house and the fighting that these demonic things were feeding off of and just being able to do more physical acts. And so finally this happened. Their, their marriage deteriorated so bad that she had to end up moving in with her parents for a while. Um, because they were fighting so bad with the kids. And um, she said that at one point uh, they had had um, a, actually held church service in the living room of that house, trying to bless it. Their church came over, they set up fold-out chairs, and they had a couple of consecutive Sundays where they had church service in the house, and, and everything seemed to kind of be normal to calm down, which they hide sometimes, and they do that, and then they Mm -hmm. wait for you to get comfortable again, and they pop up. So, um, and that's kind of what happened, and she said within two days of them returning to the house to move back in, that their dog was so frantic to get out of the house that when the husband opened the door to go out to his truck, the dog ran out the front door and ran into this street and got hit by a car and died. Oh, That's horrible. Yeah. That's horrible. So... Um, they finally, you know, after that second time trying to move back in and the children were screaming, they didn't want to come home, please, I want to stay at Grandma and Grandpa's house. And um, so they finally ended up moving out. And the house actually sat there for six months empty 
there was some tax thing that they were trying to avoid um, to get a little bit of a discount on the taxes with that with um, if you live there less than a year that you don't get right. And um, so they were doing that, but the house sat empty those those six months, and they just came over and tended it and things like that. But it, it, she confirmed a lot. I mean, she talked about the bite marks, too, that would show up on her kids and the claw marks. And, um, you know, she couldn't understand. She thought maybe that her son was playing with a toy that was causing that because it also the, the bite marks were on the boy, not the little girl. The little girl was getting the claw marks and the bruises. And um, so... That revelation validated a lot for me, and um, it, it, that is that's also um, written out in, in detail in the in the book of of what all transpired with that. But um, I had asked her at one point if I could please keep in touch with her, just in case there was something else you know that I wanted to ask her about. And about <laughs> three weeks later. I went to call her, and the number had been disconnected. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and I've never, I haven't heard from them since. So, um, you know, I basically got the validation that that I that I needed. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if I could have, I would have burnt that house to the ground mm-hmm. and left it. But I couldn't. Yeah. You know, as a single mother, I mean, not. I couldn't afford to pay the mortgage on it a month for those ghosts to live in there. Right. And we have to pay for somebody else to live, you know, to, um, to live there. And the people that I sold it to, I made sure did not have children. I could not do that. I had a, um, I had a group of people. Um, I, I had made the mistake because they can hear you. They can't read your mind, but they can hear you. I made the mistake of making the appointment with these people to come and see the house. Cause I was selling it for sale by owner while I was in there. And the very next day, my mom and I go back to the house to add a few little touches to give it that homey look. We had cleaned everything. Everything was spotless. There was no garbage cans in there. There was nothing left that, was, that would draw anything. And my mom and I, we were walking up the, the walkway, and my mom says to me, Lori, did you have the windows tinted on the house? And I look up at the upper upper window, and I, when we left, the vertical blinds were open, but you couldn't even see the vertical blinds hanging there. And then when I looked to the, the window below, which was in the garage, there were all these flies all over that window, like half-filled, but the ones upstairs were solidly covered in flies. Oh. And so my mom and I, um, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, those are flies. I mean, there was nothing to draw them in there, nothing, no food. There was no, the toilets were flushed. There were no mops, no garbage. Nothing was in there to draw those flies. And we expected when we went into the front door to be swarmed by them, but the flies were actually all over the windows because they were trying to get out of the house, too. And they were big flies. They were not hatchlings. There were no maggots. And they had they had um, speckled like all over the the windowsill and around the frames with with fly doo doo, and uh, so my mom and I had to clean up. But there were a couple of windows in that breakfast nook area that had actually been painted shut. The windows were broken, and so I couldn't understand how the flies managed to get in between the paint itself and the screen. Because there was the screen was in tight and it was not damaged. There were no holes in it, other than the little tiny holes that you have in a screen. Sure, but right. there wasn't any damage to it. And I literally had to take those screens out of 
the window and usher those flies into the room because I couldn't get the glass part of the window opened. And my mom and I had the front kitchen window opened with the screens off that we were flogging them out, you know, to get them out and right. out the back sliding glass door. And I remember those people were supposed to be there in an hour. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, my mom and I, are, I mean, we're like going crazy trying to clean everything, get all of these flies out. And I mean, they were on every window, every window, but they were more solid and condensed on the ones upstairs. And I couldn't imagine how all of those flies could get in there like that. So um, fortunately, the lady had called while we were cleaning up all of the mess, and they had needed to reschedule. So that was a blessing. But they rescheduled for the next day. And I didn't schedule it while I was in the house. I was in my car um, and called them back and rescheduled it for the next day. And when the lady came she was like, oh, I used to live in this area. I'd love, this is almost identical to the kind of house that I grew up in, and I'd love to raise my three children here. And I'm thinking, oh, no. So she brought two of the three children with her when she came the next day. And they, just like my children, we entered the house. They run down to the bedrooms. They're picking out their space. They're excited. And then they ask to go downstairs. Well, they both came back upstairs with eyes like a deer in headlights. And I hear the little girl say to the boy, so, whatever the oldest kid was that wasn't with him that day, so-and-so can have the creepy room downstairs. I'll take the little room because mm. nobody wanted the little room, which was the one that was smeared with, with um, feces on the floor. But um, at that moment, I knew that I could not, as a mother, you know, sell the house to anybody with children. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have to deal with criminals at large. But it's another thing to have to deal with things that you cannot see. And when your child comes to you and says that there's something under my bed and in my closet or even in my bed with me and there's nothing you can do, they all jump in bed with you while you're getting the covers pulled off. You know, I I mean, I I couldn't do it. And I mean, and that's why I decided, you know, to leave. I had um, I had so many denominations of religion come. I had a um, Episcopalian priest come up from Georgia with a paranormal group. His name was Andrew Calder, and he since has passed away. Um, but uh, he kept telling me, he said, no, Lori. He said, I'm sorry, Lynn. <laughs> he said, no, no, Lynn. You know, you need to stand your ground with this house. You need to you need to keep this house. It's your house. You need to stand your ground. And I told him, I said, look, I cannot imagine if I had family and friends over for a Thanksgiving dinner, and I see something because when you're around them so much, you get used to seeing them. When I see something walk through the room and I start screaming at them, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of my house, I can't imagine how many of my guests are going to want to stay and eat. And not only that, how many of them would even consider inviting me to their house because I might be bringing more than chocolate cake. So I told him, I said, I can't do that. I can't, I cannot put my children through this. I, my, my home is my haven. I will never, ever feel, feel comfortable here. Right. I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, my privacy has been invaded and um, I'm not sharing a house with, with a bunch of ghosts and demons. So that was, that was it on that. But um, yeah, I, I had, let's see, one, two, three, four sets of workers that came to the house. The first three sets disappeared by two o'clock. The last one was stoned all the time. 
But he did good work, and as long as he wasn't stoned around my kids, I didn't care because I wanted to get the work done so that the house could be sold. Um, and he, he, people with addiction kind of carry their own little demonic monkey on their back, those archons. That's right. Um, so, you know, uh, he kind of had his own thing going, and they didn't bother him. So I was glad. But, yeah, it was it was just unbelievable. Just I um I wanted to ask about the uh, the 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 owners prior to you when you you know you finally contacted them and you were talking about how it almost ruined their marriage the house and what was in the house almost ruined their marriage because they were fighting all the time is it your opinion in retrospect as you were digesting that information that the reason they were fighting is because of the maliciousness of the activity in other words uh you know whatever it is knocking on the door and the husband thinking the wife was at fault or was there something more more of a possession thing going on here where it was actually changing the mood and the personalities of one of those two in that marriage any ideas i believe that it was all of the above really it was a combination of things because there was one point that she made mention that her husband got so angry over something um, small. Again, for some reason, this, this kitchen water faucet kept turning itself on. did the same thing with me when I lived there. Um, and he kept accusing her of leaving the water running, and she kept saying that she didn't. And she said that at one point he was so angry that he started raging at her and his eyes went black. Oh, and, well, that'll tell you, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that the, his eyes went black, and she said that in that moment she was afraid for her life, and she said that never, ever, in all of the years they had been married, like like eight years, and she said had they ever, he had never raised a hand to her, they rarely ever fought, you know, they were, they were a good team, um, but that these things, I mean, he was just raging, raging and angry, um, at her, and it, and it frightened her, and that that was the time when she saw his eyes turn black that she left and went to her parents' house and started uh-huh. staying there. That was probably smart. How long were they in the house? Do you know? Six months. They were in there six months, and then it was empty six months as in yes. between. Yeah, uh, and and you stayed two nights, but never really fully moved in. Nope. And I sold it after eight months. I didn't care about the tax break. I was done. Yeah. Um, You know, you talk about your kids, you talk about their kids, you talk about kids of prospective buyers that you were showing the house to and you wouldn't just wouldn't do it to the kids because, you know, it's one thing as adults to deal with that kind of activity and, and to face it. But when the kids start being affected, there's no way to really reconcile that if it's malicious activity, if it's, if it's something, and I'll use the words demonic or evil, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't, I mean, you cannot allow your kids to be in that circumstance. No, that is so true. I mean, talk about post, I mean, my son to this day, he is now 23 years old and he was, um, let's see, he was around nine or 10 when that happened. Mm-hmm. And to this day, he has such um, post-traumatic stress from that, that he will not sleep without the light on. Yeah, it scars day. you. Yeah, it scars and you. He, yeah, and he refuses to talk about it. He did help design that cover um, because I wanted it to be exact. I, I wrote that book in such a way that if they wanted to sit me on a lie detector, that everything in it was truthful. Nothing is exaggerated. It's just the way that it happened. And um, so I wanted the details of the cover to be exact of that incident that occurred with him um, in the bathroom, and um, but but to this day, he he will not 
He will not speak of it. Lynn, it scared him so bad. Lynn, is the cover of Omnipresent What Happened Next, the picture of the house on that cover? Is that the house? Yes, it is. Hmm. Yes, it is. What do you think when you see that picture? Does it does it disturb you to see it? Um, yes, especially when you look at the the, the window of that house. Yeah. Now, now that house, um, that that is a demon looking out the window, and some people can argue and say, oh, it's the tree in the front yard. But the tree in the front yard was a new tree. When those people's dog got hit by the car, they buried the dog in the front yard, yard and they planted one of those miniature um, Japanese maple trees. That was, and, and at that point, it was only like maybe four or five feet tall at the most. I was taller than the tree, but it was kind of chubby and, and branched out. That window was on the second floor. Mm-hmm. And the only way that the reflection of that tree could have been on that window is if somebody, the light was coming from the ground going upward. You know, and saying if the, if, the, if the sun was over the top, it wouldn't have reflected like that. If the sun was at the back of it, it wouldn't be able to reflect like that because it would still be coming up over. So, and that is the face of that, that um, it was a hell dog demon that is exactly what he looked like okay and hold on a second ahead. are you saying that in this picture on the cover of omnipresent what happened next in that window there's there's a face yes in this picture okay i'm trying to blow the picture up i don't have a very high resolution image of it so i might not be able to do it to the effectiveness which side of this window are we look are we focusing on it's the uh, right hand side okay let me just see what we can see here because I do see, I do see, I do see what you're talking about. I do now that I've blown this up a little bit. How was that picture taken? Was that just a random shot? Yes, it was. I took it myself. I was actually outside. Um, it was um, uh, it was in the afternoon, and I was taking pictures of the house. And you can even see too that the that the sky is overcast. So, but I was taking pictures of the house for to put it in for the ad for my for sale by owner, and um, I didn't even realize that the face was there. So I had the whole front of the house, and um, and I put everything in. And uh, actually, my my youngest daughter is the one that pointed, which I had an additional child after those two, but my youngest daughter, when I was you know writing about the book, she pointed out the fact. She said, "Mom, there's a face. There are also two faces." in the other windows in the opposite direction, but I couldn't add those in there because I didn't want the house number to be exposed on the cover. Oh, yeah. So there, there's also another face. She says two faces. I see one, but, um, but the, and that one in the kitchen. And that one in the kitchen is what it looked like. Because believe me, I saw it, you know, it, um, multiple times. It got to the point that I was saw them so much that I was desensitized to them. They didn't even scare me anymore. It was like, oh, you're here. I'm doing my work. Just leave me alone, you know, type thing. And, um, yeah. Wow. Um, I I looked at the clock here, and we're going to run out of time pretty quickly. I want to ask you about a couple other things that are kind of not directly related to the book, but more related to your work as a paranormal consultant. Uh, You're also uh, an empath. Um, One of the things you talk about, Lynn, and this this might upset some people, and I'm curious as to your thoughts on this, um, but you talk about um, people, embodied humans, are actually never really as alone as we think we are, even in private moments? Yes. Um, with, With the ability that I have to see interdimensionally 
um, which I can see between the veils of dimensions. Um, I have the ability to see attachments on people, like, for instance, um, the archons on people with addictions. I can see those. They look like little backpack spiders, crabs, and um, sometimes they're, like, reptilian-looking. But people, um, if they could see what I see when I walk into a sports club, a bar, you know, or if I, if I go, like, if, you know, I don't smoke, but, you know, if I'm out talking to my friend and she's smoking out in the cigarette area of the employee area, people would not, they would be shocked if they could see how many dead people are standing around them trying to smell the smoke and sniff the vapors of their drink. When people die and they choose not to cross over, they still have their addictions, their mental health issues, their emotions, they show up with the wound or whatever the cause of death was, um, and, it's, and it's pretty gruesome. And some of them are angry and grumpy. Those are the ones that people like you that are ghost hunters, that, you know, you go in and you find these, these grumpy ghosts. Um, I call, I think there, to me, there's a difference between spirits and ghosts. Ghosts are the um, ones that are earthbound that were at one point in a human body, um, and they're, you know, they, some of them can be harmless, but really the harmless ones aren't harmless because of the negative draw that they have on them that creates people that are embodied to have sleep problems or to have, or just to exhaust them, to make them feel tired. And of course, lack of sleep and feeling exhausted leads to all kinds of physical and medical problems if, if it goes on for a long period of time. And sometimes those supposed harmless the lady walking down the hallway that you see every night or, or whatever, um, because of that negative pull, sometimes they will also pull something else in the way that they got in will come in too, and you may not want that one there. So it's a good idea not to have them in your house at all. So, um, but yes, because people that, cross o- that don't cross over still have the urge to have you know, their addiction and not all people with addictions don't cross over. Some of them do, and, of course, they get help. But the ones that just can't let go, um, they do. They stand around people that are smoking. Um, you know, if some, somebody's in an adult peep show, you think you got yourself in a lone moment, <laughs> and you might have a whole fan club looking over your shoulder watching with you because they hover. They, that addiction is still there. You know, you still got the dead people hanging around the racetracks and the and – the, and the, um, you know, the, so, the places uh, in Las Vegas. Lynn, they hover, but do they judge? Are they judging us? No. <laughs> Good. No, no. But, you know, they, they, they're trying to just be, even though they really have no way to smell anything, they just want to be around the vapors of the alcohol and this, the, the cigarette smoke. And when you walk in, you know, you gave the example of like walking into a smoking area and you see, the, what do you, do you actually see? Uh, apparitions like humanoid forms or you mentioned like spiders and scorpions and whatever I and mean, what do you see specifically when i when when i walk into like for instance the area where they're smoking i actually see dead people standing okay. around them trying to smell the smoke mm-hmm. i can pick out addicts in a crowd because of the archons that they the attachments right. that they have they carry, they're like little, they're like backpacks. And the thing about those archons is that even if a person gets, you know, goes to AA or goes to wherever they need to go to, um, to try to help with their addiction and they overcome it, 
those 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 archons, they will detach at some point because they, they feed, but they never go away. They still stay with the person, even though they're not attached. Um, I, had a, um, I had a relative that had, was, had, was a cocaine addict and, and alcoholic, and he had this reptilian one that was on his back. And whenever he would plan to come up and visit from Florida, um, I like a couple of days before I would even get the call, I, that thing would precede him. And it would be in my house, and I would see it jumping diagonal from corner to corner, back and forth in the ceiling. It would never come down onto the floor. It never came down onto the furniture. It always would stay up high. And its head would turn 300, what is it, all the way around is 360 degrees without ever having to recoil backwards. It would just, it would rotate like that, and it could, it would, it would look at you from, from the ceiling, and it was a creepy thing. I actually drew a picture of it in this in the book, What Happens Next, um, and it did look reptilian. The head was not in proportion with the body. It was much smaller, and it had a butt on it like a human, but like frog legs, and when I would finally get the call like two days later, hey, we're packing the Winnebago. We're coming up to see you. I thought, well, I already knew that because, you know, your your, your buddy precedes you. And the thing is, is when he would get to, to South Carolina, the thing would disappear. And when he would go home, it would disappear. But when I went one time and stayed at, at his house with his wife um, in, in their guest room, that thing was jumping the ceiling the same way that it did at my house in his house. And I could see that. Um, you obviously have had a lot of time to accept that you've probably a little bit desensitized to it but when in that first started happening for you to you and you were seeing these things you must have questioned your sanity at one at some point i did you know i did um but then there were then you know i started to make friends with people that had similar talents and my children started to grow up and some of them have a few talents um, my siblings have talents my father was actually an empath and um so my two older siblings also have gifts like mine. So there were other people seeing the same thing. And that's at that point, because I'm like, whoa, you know, yeah. I'm staying away from the smoking area. I don't want to <laughs> go into bars, you know, because, and in the same token, I was seeing beautiful things too. You know, I was seeing the angels and families and loved ones coming to connect with their loved one and help them transition over. I could see from a medical standpoint, the body physically transitioning into death and the preparation, and medically, you know, on the human side, but on the other side, I was able to see the beautiful preparation that the souls that were waiting for the rebirth of this spirit to come back to home and cross over, that what they were doing, I was able to see see this all happening at the same time. And I'm hoping, you know, I've got this, that part actually is, is being written in the uh, Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End. And um, I really, really hope that the book brings comfort to people who have terminal illness or have lost a loved one, um, or, or they're just curious. Maybe they, you know, they're afraid of death and, and dying, but it's, it, it's a beautiful, very detailed story. And um, like I said, you know, having other people see what I was seeing at the same time was validating. So I knew that I wasn't crazy. And plus I'm older, so I've had been around for a while and kind of had some <laughs> experience. So, but um you know, even as a child growing, I grew up in a haunted house, so there were a lot of things that um, 
You know, I was we lived near a hospital in a nursing home. I mean, it, the, the the two were paralleling each other. It was only divided by a service road. So we saw ghosts and patients down walking through our house, and we'd see, you know, um, different, you know, um, there were Indian mounds also in the, the woods off on the other side of the hospital. So we'd see Indians walking through, not like all the time, but, you know, like maybe a couple of times a, a week. So, you, you know, when you when you see that, you kind of desensitized to it. But for me, um, there was a period of time that uh, my mother had changed religions, and it was a very hard time for me because I was con- I was just, condemned not the, the correct word, but the religion scared me so badly about my abilities. Um, you know, I thought I was going to rot in hell, you know. And at 10 years old, that's a lot to put on to a kid. So I started denying my abilities. And of course, when kids go through puberty, when they have those abilities, they kind of go dormant a little bit. They're not as strong and then they reopen. But um, so, you know, I had a period of time where I was scared to death of the things too. And then I, as I became into adulthood and I moved from my my parents' home and um, started, you know, learning things with other people and learning what the things actually were and that it wasn't what I was terrorized with. Um, those those abilities started to open again. Okay, so you grew up with this. You uh, you had a, a lot of experiences. It sounded like as you were growing up, yes. um, you've got these sensitivities. You've you've learned to live with them. You learn to deal with them. Yet you you buy a house that has activity in it, and I'm assuming the difference there that made you not be able to deal with it was the was the physical attacks. Is that what the difference was? Yes, yes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have peace of mind there. I was very aware of them. Um, they knew that I was aware of them. And I just, as a mother with children, I couldn't do that to my kids. You know, the thing was, is when I first went into the house, I saw their peripheral vision, this man hanging in the stairwell. Mm. And I talked myself out of it. I wanted this house so bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were living in a single wide trailer with a creek that was that, that had snakes and stuff in it, and I wanted a yard for my kids to play in, and this was like a palace in comparison to anything else that I had seen and I had been looking for a year. So I'm sure that I overlooked a lot. I ignored a lot, or, or, and I assumed, too, because I had, when I was starting to, to get back in touch with my gifts, I kind of went through a new age thing where, you know, it was said universal law and these things can't hurt you and you can tell them to leave. Well, that didn't exactly work either, you know, but I didn't know that until I got into it. And, um, you know, and, and then the things didn't work the way that I was taught that they were supposed to work. So, um, you know, it just, yeah, yeah here um, I am. We're out of time, Lynn. Uh, can people buy and read omnipresent what happened next without reading omnipresent or do they need to go together no they can um i actually did in the uh, forward a, a quick um little rundown of a short story so if they if they don't want to have omnipresent they can pick up as long as they read the forward and go forward with um, omnipresent what happens next the books are being sold through my website only I've had scammers that have set up pay app accounts under Lynn Monet. I even found somebody under LinkedIn owner, wow. you know, with my real name with owner of Lynn Monet, omnipresent with some other lady's picture on LinkedIn. I've had to go through a lot of red tape to get some of this stuff removed. So wow. please order it through LynnMonet.com. You're guaranteed to get your book. I can't be responsible if you purchase it from somewhere else that somebody scams you out of your money. 
Um, so please, you know, buy it from me and, and be guaranteed that, that you will get it. Plus, I'll sign it for you. And, um, yeah, it's been bad. I've had so many. I, hate, I have a guy selling my books on eBay. You know, it just they, it, it's I've had so many scammers um, steal this, this, this uh, omnipresent book. So I want to oh. make sure, you know, I don't want my my name either to be blackened because these scammers are taking people's money and not giving them their books. So I want to make sure that everybody gets what what they're you know wanting to get. Right. Again, it's LynnMonet.com. Lynn with two ends, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, fascinating stories, Lynn, and you do such a great job of relating it, and you actually you can feel the passion in your voice uh, when you tell these stories and understand how it affected you so deeply. So thank you for coming. When is the next book out, by the way? I know I don't. I hate to rush ahead here because <laughs> Omnipresent, no, it, what happened comes, next is is your new book. But what when's when do you expect the next one to come out? Um, I'm I'm shooting for December fifteenth. Mm-hmm. It's going um, the, the pre-sale will start November first, and the book will actually be released on december 15th and i would love to come back and talk about it if you'll have me yeah we will absolutely do that and and this is a different book in fact you you kind of hinted that it's it might actually provide some comfort for folks um yes. you know and, and i love talking about that stuff too anybody who's who suffered any kind of loss gets a certain uh, uh, deal of relief when we have these kinds of discussions so we'll definitely yes. do that lynn thank you so much for being here it's always great to talk to you it's my it's my pleasure and it's been an honor thank you so much beyond reality paranormal is hosted by jv johnson and produced by orion palmer and slick eddie edwards like us on facebook and subscribe to our youtube channel please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform click on the link in the description or on patreon at joha productions if you'd like to be a guest on beyond reality paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest contact our producer slick eddie edwards Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.